electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. And welcome to Squawk on the Street. We do have a big morning for you. Of course, moments away, the CEO of Uber, Derek Khosrow Shahi, will join us exclusively this after the company posts what is a record loss and slowing revenue growth. But there's a lot more to deal with here. Somewhat uh, difficult quarter to get through from an investor perspective, which is why we're very happy to have him go through all of those numbers. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber. Jim Cramer is here as well. Of course, we're live from the New York Stock Exchange. Carl Quintanilla has the morning off. Let's give you a look at futures. Final trading day of the week, as you see. And what a week it's been when you talk about these markets. You can see we are looking for a lower open. Not dramatically lower, but lower. The 10-year note yield, talk about a ride. Let's take a look at the 10-year note yield because I actually want to see where we are. Yeah, we're below 1.7 again. Uh, Of course, we've been almost below 1.6 just during the course of this week. Well, let's start with a stock as opposed to the market. You want to do that or you want to talk about I, I really want to. I, no, I, uh, I want to talk about a stock. You do? Most, I, you okay. you uh, chastised me for hyperbole, but the millennials think that Uber is the most important stock in the market. Done well, a huge amount of work just on that. Well, there it is, of course. Because they'll pay up for Uber. The shares are down in the big. pre-market, Jim. This after, of course, reporting what is the largest ever loss. The, the number, $5.2 billion. Slowest ever revenue growth as well. The ride-hailing company incurring expenses that were related to its IPO earlier this year. Well, really, not even that long ago. Uh, as we said, uh, Dara Khosrowshahi, the company CEO, going to join us uh, momentarily. We're not um, used to it. We're not used to a, uh, a quarter as difficult as this. It's one, a hard one, right? Yes. I mean, you've got to, first of all, the $3.9 billion uh, compensation expense related to the IPO. That is not going to recur. So, right. Okay, so that takes the, but the headlines he- that headline got that number. wrong. Headlines got it wrong because they're written by machines, and we got to stop with the machines. Humans um, sometimes can be better. But perhaps even more important is also that the um, the driver appreciation award. When you back that out, because again, that was also related to the IPO. Yes. Then you get uh, an adjusted, and everything here is adjusted. So let's. let's but that's why that the analysts liked it an because adjusted they did net that. revenue number of three point nine billion, three point two billion versus what was two point nine billion when you add in that uh, right. that negative revenue from the driver appreciation. But remember, that's, it's so shocking and to have then, revenue take back and because we're so used to earnings take as back. opposed to whatever uh, you're up twenty six percent year over year. That's the true number. That's and the true so number. The market, it'll be interesting to see how investors and what Mr. Khosrowshahi has to say. We'll talk to him about a wide variety of things, but I certainly when it comes to just the basics of the quarter itself, which, by the way, I don't want to. They still lost $656 million in terms of an EBITDA loss, and that's kind of where you really need to focus. Well, I mean, to me, David, we knew they were going to lose a lot of money, but we didn't realize, uh, and they were, there was great confusion about the one-time nature of yeah. the losses. Uh, I think that the interview is either going to move the stock up two or three bucks or it stays the same. And the interview is really important. I say that because the analysts were so granular that uh, it was difficult to understand why the stock was down when you talked about what, what they did. And I think that stock being down this much is incorrect. The market's wrong. But who's operating better at this point? You know, we got a quarter from Lyft that was well responded to by the market. In fact, Uber shares, let's not forget, were up yesterday, riding on the back of what was better than expected numbers from Lyft. Is is Lyft right now the better run company, Jim? Yes, because they are operating in markets that are much easier. Uh, But they don't have the the lofty and grand ambitions. And I like ambition. And Dara's an ambitious man. And I think what we're going to hear is this is a guy who thinks that the U.S., is a good market, but he wants to dominate London, Paris, cities that right now he can own. He is a first mover. Uh, I think he has no problem. Look at what he used to do. He is so used to being international. Lyft is a good domestic company. Right. I want to be an international global powerhouse with a war chest. 
to keep to build a moat, not unlike David Amazon. Tough to do, though. You have to spend an enormous amount of money to do it. They India, for example, they is an important it. market. They're number three. They've Didi in China, which is probably which most analogous to Uber in terms of its ambition right. and what it does. I mean, they've got to meet Didi head on in a number of these markets. Latin America not doing as well as Latin it Latin America's been. bad. Latin America's a big loss. Latin America has been challenging for everybody. That's why I say take out the B in brick. Because everything you do in Latin America is a loss. And you can have as long-term vision as you want, GM, Ford, and it just doesn't work. I wish they weren't in Latin America, and I've got to ask him what the heck they're doing there. Do you really have to lose money everywhere? I know. Can't you just lose money in certain markets? Well, as, as, and, and again, I don't, uh, Mr. Karzir Shahi will join us, but he did say on the conference call, there are always trade-offs to be made in life. Yeah, I think well, it's somewhat deep. Well, that's like Jimmy uh, Carter. And I think we can make the unfair. trade-offs where we can scale expenses or get far more efficient in our marketing and incentive spend while improving the bottom line. And he did go on to say, listen, we're confident this company at maturity can be cash flow positive. That's reassuring. Well, it, look, the big issue is, did he, did he do UPOT? Is he under-promising and can he over-deliver? Right. Or is it simply impossible to deliver? And I don't know. I mean, I have my thinking that it's UPOT. This is an interview... <laughs> We better find out. Yeah. Don't, because, don't be mistaken, by the way. That's not him walking our set right now. <laughs> He's in San Francisco. That's from the IPO day. No, I'm not sure why we're showing picture that. Of him. Yeah. Do they have a picture of me running up to him and putting my microphone oh, in his funny. face? Yeah, that was Like good. I used to when I was a sports, sports writer. Good well, you're going to be a sports guy again. I love sports. I've always um, sports. Let's move on to the, uh, to the uh, broader market as well here. Futures are pointing to a lower open on Wall Street. It has been certainly, as I said, a... Uh, Wild week for stocks. On Monday alone, the S&P 500 dropped 3%. It's the first drop of that size this year, but we'll see what we have in store. In 2018, the S&P fell by at least 3% on five, oh, that's 2018, on five separate occasions. In 2015, it fell by at least that much three times in the span of two weeks. 2011, six times. 2010, five times. There's more volatility in the forecast as we move through August and into uh, the fall? Yeah, because there's too many variables. We've got Chinese currency that we can trade on. Uh, we've got tweets that we can trade on. We have Huawei, which is at the center of so much of tech. Uh, also, David, I mean, let's be fair. There is This is being run by Peter Navarro. Trade. Go by Navarro. Which means what? It means that it's existential. It's not trying to get more money. It's not about soybeans. It's about hegemony. And uh, there was a very critical piece about Peter Navarro in the Wall Street Journal. Yesterday's that editorial. That he's that his potentially going to cause totally a recession. Won. Right, recession. And I disagree with that. But I understand that this is the time to take, I believe it is time to take on the Chinese if I want to. But they did Huawei. I would have taken them on with more tariffs. I've got to tell you, Huawei is at the crux. And I think Huawei is a company that we see some companies doing business with. Scott, but I don't want to take down our own semiconductor companies. And that's what you're doing. When you, take, when you challenge Huawei, we have the best semiconductor industry in the world, and it's going to hurt it. I would rather see a tariff. I'm, under, I'm, explain to me what you mean. Okay, I, the I'm semiconductor companies you. are the companies that do the most. Of our cohorts, yes. if you look at the whole panoply, other, more than industrial, our semiconductor companies have the most percentage of their sales in China. Okay. Um, and what happens is they could be shut down. As it is, well, Scott, they could be prevented from selling to Huawei, that, certainly. No, but more. But than even that, more than more that, than you're that. saying the Chinese. Well, the no. Chinese are not going to do that. They need those components. Well, they've known to David, as you often say, they play the long game, and maybe they're even willing to cut off their nose to spite their face. Now, Skyworks Solutions is the most recent one they reported yesterday, and they took a big hit for Huawei, and right. I think that's important. Now, Lumentum did not take a hit. You can see that stock up. These are major companies, and some of them are going to be punished, and that's why I'm worried. They're going to be punished. All right, well, let's get back to uh, our uh, big stock story of the morning, of course, Uber shares. As you saw, they're under pressure, at least thus far. The company did miss estimates on the top and bottom line, but there is an awful lot going on here under the surface that could at least uh, make it a bit of a confusing quarter for, for many investors. So joining us now exclusively from San Francisco to help explain it all and answer our questions is uh, the company CEO, Dara Khajrashahi. Good to see you, Dara. Thanks for being with us. Good to be here. Thank you. 
Um, you know, as I said, I mean, and we, Jim and I were talking, the $3.9 billion in terms of the compensation expense related to the IPO, the Driver Appreciation Award, a lot of different moving parts here, a lot of adjustments that people have to see through. So let me just ask you, uh, if you can cut through all that, what really is the revenue growth rate for this company and the take rate that we're looking at right now and that you expect in terms of the guidance for the future? Yeah, listen, I think the, the IPO for us is a once-in-a-lifetime moment, uh, and it was a really important moment for the company, and some of what we did, like the Driver Appreciation Award, almost $300 million that we put in the hands of over a million drivers globally, were really important for us to do. Um, it created a messy P&L from an accounting standpoint that I think is hiding underlying trends that are actually very, very healthy for the company. If you look at the trends of the company, and this is what's going to matter long term, you've got gross bookings over $16 billion, growing 37% on a year-on-year basis. You've got trip volume and trips or units growing 35% year-on-year. You've got audience uh, monthly active platform customers now over $100 million, growing 30%. And the actual revenue growth and you do have to back out the Driver Appreciation Award because that was one time. It was important. We wanted to do, but it was one time. The revenue growth, excluding the Driver Appreciation Award, 26%. was up 26%. And what I did tell our investors is expect that to accelerate into the back half of the year. The back half of the year, you're going to see, if trends stay the same, revenue growth in excess of 30%. And when you look at profitability, we beat our own internal targets. We beat street targets as well. We came... And at a loss of $656 million, it's still a big loss, but the losses it are is. improving, the take rates are improving. Right. And you went on in the call to say at maturity, of course, you can be cash flow positive. I made light of, not light of, I, I, I uh, discussed briefly your comment, some of your other comments, and I'd love to get a little bit more from you on them, which is if you do your jobs right and you say there are always trade-offs to be made, you can make the trade-offs where you can scale expenses and get more efficient in marketing and incentive spend while improving the bottom line. What examples can you give to me right now of where you are doing that or where you would expect to do that in coming quarters in terms of increasing the possibility of profitability and the overall contribution margin? Listen, you see it this quarter. Again, if you back out some of those one-time expenses, we went from a loss over $800 million to a loss of $656 million. We got much more efficient on the marketing front uh, and actually took marketing as a percentage of revenue down while we were still growing the top line over 30% as well. So we are in a situation as far as the network effects of this company. This is much more than just a rideshare company. Now it's a transportation company where we don't need to continue to increase the marketing and incentives. We can go in with loyalty plans, both for riders and drivers, that are going to add to leverage in the company and ultimately improve the profitability of the company. And listen, this is a marketplace company that has over 20% revenue margins, and revenue margins are increasing year on year. So not only do we expect to hit kind of cash flow break even, but we expect this business to be very profitable at maturity. And this is the big spend year. Spending from here starts to decline. Is that true? I think that our spending declines as a percentage of revenue. So when you're growing trips 35% year on year, your spending is going to increase. But we're going to get leverage, we believe, on the marketing line, and we're definitely going to get fixed cost leverage going forward. And I think that this market proved that, this quarter proved that out. And I think we have to keep hitting our marks in the next couple of quarters. It's a super competitive marketplace, but we're confident, and we like what we saw operationally in this quarter. Darren, this is Jim. <clears throat> Good to see you, as always, my friend. But I, I have a question. I know you're involved with history. I know you know history most, probably better than most CEOs. Frederick the Great said, he who defends everything defends nothing. Latin America, Uber Eats against a DoorDash competitor that plays with, plays with Wampum? I mean, why are you in these markets where you know, you know you have to defend everything and it's going to cost a fortune? Well, listen, Latin America for us is one of the best markets we have in the rideshare business. It's a huge market. The, the GDP there is increasing. You look at Argentina, for example. Buenos Aires now is the fifth largest city for us globally in terms of trips for a rides business. So we know how to operate in Latin America. The Uber name is beloved in Latin America. And we think that the platform, the power of the platform is that we can take one service and then add on other services 
into the fold as well. So just like Uber Eats has become a part of everyday lexicon to Americans, we think the same can be true in Latin America. Is it going to take investment? Yes. Is it going to take execution? Yes. But we have an enormous advantage in the Uber brand and the platform that we built locally. And there's no reason why we can't be just as successful in Latin America as we are in the U.S. All right. You let me spend some time with Lior Ron, who I think is a genius. He does Uber Freight. The analysts seem to be, uh, let's say, lukewarm about Uber Freight, that it, you're spending a lot of money. It happens to be the wrong time. Can you give us more granularity? Because it was not available in the conference call. Yeah, I think Uber Freight's growth, if you look on a year-on-year basis, the top line is growing over 150%. If you look at customer cohorts, our customers love us. We're signing up new customers, and the use of the customers kind of year-on-year continues to increase at a very significant pace. The freight industry hit a soft pocket in the first quarter and second quarter of the year. We went in and adjusted to that soft pocket to sell much more aggressively into accounts And if you look at the graphs for Uber Freight right now, the growth rates are very, very exciting. And we remain quite bullish. It's going to take a couple of years, but this is a multi-billion dollar industry. And we think we've got kind of the best solution with the best tech and a great brand. And we think we can succeed there uh, very much so. You know, uh, competition, of course, is is one of the key concerns of investors here, whether it's Lyft here in the uh, domestically or Didi and so many other markets around the world and what they believe will be a constant pressure on pricing. Um, Is it starting to alleviate at all? The possibility, for example, of Didi in London, is that going to conceivably be yet another battle you have to fight? So we have competitors in every single market, right? If you're going after a $10 trillion-plus marketplace, you're not just going to have one competitor. You're going to have multiple competitors coming in. We happen to be the biggest in the sector, so when competitors come in, they, they, they want to take us on. Um, when you look in the rideshare space, the competitive environment is, I'd say, stable get to getting better. Uh, you saw rideshare take rates actually quarter on quarter increase by over 100 basis points. So while it's competitive and we expect to be competitive, we be, we've competed against competitors in Paris and London and every single city that we operate in, we have multiple competitors and usually we have 60, 70, 80 shares. We, we compete, but we win. The eats market continues to be very competitive. So while rides, I'd say the, comp- the competitive environment is get stable to getting better, we th- we're going to see a lot of competition with eats. There's a lot of capital coming into the category because it's growing. And I think eats is going to be a battle this year, next year. Yeah, that's interesting you mentioned capital coming in because it does make me think about one of your largest investors, Masa Sun, of course, um, and SoftBank. They're raising Vision Fund too, Dara. And conceivably, some of that money is going to go to those very companies that you are just talking about that you'll compete with. They're going to have sort of unlimited war chests to cut pricing in, for example, the eats market. How do you view that? Do you ever go to Masa and say, give me a break here? Uh, I, I think a lot of people in life would want Masa to give them a break, but Masa is just going to keep going. Uh, listen, I think that Masa is a businessman. Uh, and he doesn't throw good money after bad. Uh, he, when he puts in money into companies, it's because he believes in them and he thinks that they're going to be category leaders. We are their single largest investment on a global basis. So I think our interests and Moss's interests are very much aligned. Uh, they know everybody. They understand the markets. And I'm very, very happy to have them as an investor. And I consider SoftBank a very good actor in this marketplace. They're going to put money against the markets, but that's going to expand the markets. And we're going to be, we have been one of the chief beneficiaries of that. Right. You know, speaking of some of your investors, the lockup is fast approaching, or I should say it will expire. Are you expecting a lot of potential sellers to hit the market when they can in terms of insiders and the like who are locked up from uh, selling uh, after the IPO? You know, yeah, you know, David, I, I like to focus on the things that I can control. My honest answer is, we don't know. Uh, there are going to be some investors who we believe are absolutely long-term investors like SoftBank. Um, uh, and, and then there are going to be some investors who've made a ton of money and they deserve to liquidate some of their shares. Uh, you know, if we focus on building the business and we focus on continuing to grow at 30 plus percent rates, continuing to increase margins, the rest will take care of itself. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to getting the lockup behind us, honestly, because I think that People talk about it too much, and really what we're trying to build is 
a business that lasts, a business that can attract the best talent in the world. That's what I'm spending my time on. All right, Darry, we've got to go back over this free money issue in Uber Eats. Uh, the DoorDash, I'm familiar with DoorDash, I deal with them personally because of a, own a restaurant. Uh, but it, it's, it's curious to me. DoorDash has 360000 They say, I mean, you guys are up there. Uh, they play with free money. They bid and got Caviar, which is the square uh, delivery. They paid $400 million. Did you try to get Caviar, and did you think that they overpaid for Caviar because they're not public? Uh you can expect us to look at every single deal out there in the marketplace where Uber, everybody wants to talk to us. And we took a look at Caviar. It's a great brand. It wasn't the right deal for us. I can't speak to DoorDash and whether they overpaid or under underpaid. We just think that the best growth vector for us with Eats, especially in the U.S., is organic. Uh, we are now increasingly with an Uber-wide loyalty program. Uh, getting users into Uber Rides and then Uber Eats and essentially moving the users back and forth between the two. We think it creates a customer acquisition cost advantage over the other players. We think it creates a lifetime value advantage over the other players. And what we're confident of is that our Eats business is much more efficient from a marketing standpoint than any of our U.S. competitors. That's the power of the platform, and that's really where we're focused. That is, that is a very good point, and I can't underestimate the lifetime value of a customer. There was an existential moment in this conference call, there where you talk about uh, rougher, poor areas, inner city. They cannot afford, the consumers can't afford, I'm quoting you, the increases in price. What are you going to do about that? Do you think it should be two-tiered? Do you think it's fair that people who are not wealthy can't afford you? And don't you think they should get a break? Why shouldn't people be treated equally? I, I think it's a, it's a tragedy. Um, Listen, I think that when you, when you put into law uh, laws that are not market-driven, uh, you wind up helping special interests and you hurt other people. And the fact is, in New York City, uh, because of the, T- the new TLC rules, we've had to restrict the number of drivers that come into the marketplace. We've had to increase prices. And there are many, many New Yorkers who can afford it. And our business in, in New York is doing just fine. But our business in, the mar- in neighborhoods that need transportation the most, often mass transit, doesn't go into those neighborhoods. Our business is suffering there, and that's just not fair. Really what's happening in New York is there's a secondary medallion system being, being kind of created with this limit on the, on the number of drivers and the number of cars. And we know that the first medallion system ended in tears. And now we're doing it again, and we think it's, we think it's a tragedy. We're doing everything that we can to get our message out in New York City uh, and, you know, eventually we think that good logic will win, but right now we're in a pretty tough spot. We will do our best to get out there and make sure that our service is available to every single consumer any way that we can. Speaking of that and other services, why are you promoting the, to a certain extent in certain metropolitan areas the use of mass transit? What is the, what is the overall benefit to your user from providing that information? Well, listen, our, our mission is, is igniting opportunity by, by setting the world in motion. We want to move people, and, and we want to be that service where if you're going from point A to B in a city, you wake up, you come to us. And we started with cars, but what we're trying to do is get you to where you're going. And we think that mass transit is an incredibly important part of that equation. Um, it is good for business. The more people come to Uber to check Uber to comfort information every day, the more of an opportunity we have to offer our services for them. At the same time, it's great for transit as well. Uh, I think you've seen that transit ridership has been flat in many cities, and we think that if you bring the Uber service, the delight of a customer experience, the ease of use, uh, all the way from information to booking, we think we can become a really important demand generator for mass transit. It's good for the environment. It's good for the city. Ultimately, it's good for the consumer. And we think it's good business as well. Right. Well, as you've said, your main competitor is car ownership, not necessarily any of the other aforementioned uh, competitors in the marketplace, Dara. You know, we, we've covered a lot of ground here in the last 10, 15 minutes in terms of your view of the future. But um, do you feel like you have a lot of visibility into your business at this point, that you can be confident in some of the predictions you're making in terms of what you're going to see in various markets and what it's going to cost you to continue to compete? I think we've got very good visibility on on our own business as far as the business model, how we can tweak and how we can 
drive more efficiency out of marketing spend, out of incentive spend, out of overheads, etc. The team is very much aligned and executing on that. I do think that the competitive environment can change quickly. And last year, we had the competitive environment become much worse, frankly. And this year, the competitive environment is improving pretty consistently. And that is something that, uh, to some extent, is out of our hands. But I do think that it's something that we can control by being an incredibly strong competitor, by pushing back where we need to, and then bring in profits uh, where we can. We think that we can not only survive, but we can really thrive in this business. Again, when you look at the top line growing, 37% at these kinds of scales, a 16 billion plus in bookings. These are big businesses, and I think that we're going to be the winner. All right, so, Darrell, can you talk about it? I know you care about impact per share. You've always been conscious about this. Can you talk about empowerment for a second uh, versus exploitation, frankly? The, the, we often read that the drivers are exploited. I often think that you provided empowerment. People who would never have a job, particularly with Uber Freights. Hispanics, Sikhs, usually discriminated against. Just tell me what you're doing for equality. Well, I think as far as our driver partners go, one of the really important parts of where we're taking our relationship with the driver partners. The number one reason why they love to uh, use our platform to earn is they can use our platform any way, anytime they want. They are their own bosses. They do exactly what they want. At the same time with society now, there is an expectation of a safety net, health care, uh, minimum earnings, etc. And we are actively now engaging on that front with regulators, we want to be part of the solution where part-time work is not something that you look down on, where you can have your freedom and safety net at the same time, and we absolutely think that Uber can be, can be a leader there. That's something I take very personally, and if that's something that we can't, that we haven't accomplished as a team over the next couple of years, I'll consider that a failure. But we've got to have dialogue. It's got to get past the emotion. It's got to get past the politics, and it has to serve our driver partners, and that's what we're trying to do. Darren, the last time we actually saw you in person, of course, was during the initial public offering here on the floor of the NYC. Any regrets in terms of that day? The stock continues to trade five bucks below the IPO price. Yeah, listen, it was a, it was a great day as far as bringing in, uh, getting the company public, getting us funded to that path to profitability as well. I think we've got to do a better, better uh, job in terms of telling her story to the markets. Uh, I think that the company is executing very, very well. Uh, somehow it's not getting through the noise. And, you know, I think that at some point you just put your head down and you execute and the market short term, while you can't control the short term, long term, the market will take care of itself. And I think that's what we're focused on right now. Right. But you've got to get people to believe in that ultimate goal that you can be a cash flow machine at, at maturity. And for now, even on EBITDA loss of $656 million, I would think that's an uphill battle in some ways. Do you agree? I think that when you have those kinds of losses, listen, we take those losses seriously, but you've got to look at the fundamentals of the business. This is a 20% revenue margin business at you know, 50, 60 plus percent scale. Every single year, we basically add $15 billion of gross bookings at a 20% margin uh, revenue margin. So that's essentially $3 billion of revenue that we're bringing in-house, and you put that you know, against a $656 million quarterly loss, and you see that with a couple of years of $3 billion plus revenue coming in, um, you're going to be able to cover those kinds of losses. I am very, very confident of this. The last business that I ran, Expedia, was running at 11 12% revenue margins. So on 11 12% revenue margins, we were able to get to a 20% EBITDA margin. At a 20% revenue margin here, not only do we have to get to cash flow break even, but we're going to get to significant profits here long term. It's going to take work. We're, we're very clear eyed about that. But believe me, we're, pretty, we're very confident we can get there. And, and, and finally, Dara, the last time again we saw you, Mr. Kalanick was here as well. He was up there far away from us, uh, the former CEO prior to you, the founder. People say, listen, uh, you have done a, an excellent job to a certain extent addressing some of the cultural issues that, that were, uh, were uh, present at the company when you took over. But they do wonder whether Uber has lost that sort of founder-driven uh, urgency that some of these companies have when the founder continues? How do you address those who say or wonder whether you guys still have that fire? 
I think we absolutely have that fire inside the company. We uh, just two days ago we had a we had kind of a day where we where we sit down and go through all of everything that we're doing technically. Meeting started eight thirty. It didn't it didn't end until nine after nine p.m. at night. We we got in that room and we resolved every single situation. So listen, the founder mentality, that edge, the fire is absolutely something that we want to keep going at the company. It was a big part of what made the company successful, and I absolutely believe it'll be a big part of what will make Uber successful going forward. Dara, we certainly appreciate you taking the time with us this morning, helping us go through a uh, complicated quarter, and look forward to seeing you in the future. Dara Kozlashahi, CEO of Uber, joining us from San Francisco. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Real-time exchange back at HQ. Should be a bit more red on that uh, board, at least judging from where the futures were here at the big board. Provident Bank celebrating its 180th anniversary over at the Nasdaq. Silver spike acquisition. That is a SPAC. People love those SPACs. Boy, that was um, an interesting interview. Uh, some, in the middle of it, I said, geez, should they be public? They've got such losses. Wouldn't you like to buy them when they have lower losses? But the fact is, is that he's saying, listen, you could be basically in on the ground floor better than a lot of better than a lot of these uh, PE investors. But well, one, one day, if that inflection comes, you got to be there because what's going to happen? When, is the question the, is when. And right. your point is an important one of the questions you're asking, which is they're competing in so many markets. Is there's always going to be somewhere they have to spend more, or they have to fight harder, that, uh, and it's a multi-front war, I right, guess. Right versus Lyft. Right. See, that's what I Which thought was so Which is a pure story right. here, just and domestic, do what we do, right. And what you need is a duopoly where people can raise price. Now, that you're not going to ask Dara, when are you going to raise price? No. Because that's not, that's price fix. But I would point out, David, that when you go into these markets like Latin America and you're willing to lose and to win, ultimately, yeah. well, the patience of the investor is being tried here. And I think the stock is down because... People don't have that patience. Even though I thought that Darren, I, when he was an expedient, where, why am I fond of Darren? Is it because like, I'm fond of him because his story? No, he was fabulous at expedient. He took a company that was vast and not doing well and turned it into the powerhouse that really owns that market. So he's uniquely got the right skills. But boy, David, you know, every single market is challenged. London challenged, Paris challenged. America, New York, you heard what he says. The government is basically trying to outlaw. Yeah, New York is, wow. well, typical is that of, the mayor of what goes on here there? in New York City. Just, yeah, it's... He's running for president, maybe. Uh, Never oh, know. Yeah. Great. Um, all right, let's let's get back to the broader market, Jim, and some of the other news, of course, that we've been following this week. First of all, just stepping back, we were having a brief conversation at the outset prior to getting to Dara about sort of where we stand at the end of what has been a tumultuous week, although well, you yeah. might not know it from where we end up the week. We'll see where we end today on the S&P. What do you take away from it, and what should investors be thinking about, again, as we enter the doldrums of the summer, so to speak? Right. Well, to me, we're in a phase of the trade talks, which are really gripping people, whether it be the settling of of Yuan overnight or what the president's thinking about doing. And I think that he's got everybody off balance, including stock investors. Uh, You you need to watch a company like like Broadcom, frankly. Broadcom. I think that's most that's the key to this market. Why? Tell me. Because Broadcom has decided, you know what? We are going to pivot and stop doing deals that we think the Chinese can challenge. We think that we can buy the Symantec uh, cybersecurity business and we can get away with it, but we can't mess around with China. We can't get the growth. That's why they did CA. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's important. Which did to, not also did not you know, require Chinese. Right. I'm sure Hawk Tan sent you the bulletin last night. And Hawk is Hawk is basically saying, listen, I can't deal with the craziness. Well, it's funny you mentioned Chinese approval because that, of course, edges into my area in terms of mergers and acquisitions. And I've said this a number of times, but it remains the case. And we'll see how volume is and we'll see how active companies are. But when it comes right now to putting before a board of directors a deal which would require antitrust approval from the Chinese authorities, the board is going to probably say, and I know they have been because I've heard of this already from a number of bankers and lawyers who advise, no, thank you. Let's, we're just, we're not going to, even if, you know, we're going to have to sit here for how long, 
why would we do it? And so you can put aside potentially some of those larger technology-related deals that might need that approval. In this case, in Broadcom, they don't. Um, they, of course, will tell you nobody knows how to integrate better. I used that billion sure. dollar. I, I said yesterday they were going to say a billion dollar run rate synergies. They did. Yeah. I think they, they're confident, Jim, they can get even more. Stock should be up $15. I, I think why it's not is because there's some people who say, well, this suspends the buyback, which is a very aggressive buyback. Uh, another reason uh, why I, I wanted to focus on this, this China versus not is that you, you have a lot of companies right now whose numbers are just too high because of what the president said last night. Yeah, cutting off Huawei. The numbers are just too high. I mean, one of the things that's so difficult is that you constantly have to adjust. I mean, let's give the classic example. I talked about those uh, cut off to spike their face. Yes. Do you know that Jensen Wong told me that the Chinese favor NVIDIA buying Melanox? That it's good for the Chinese. But, David, they haven't approved it. You have yet to approve it. You know how long that's been sitting in? It's been a while now. It would be great for China. Really unbelievable, of course, for NVIDIA, for shareholders. But that's an example of, wow, I don't know. Hey, watch Marvell. Rick Hill, interim CEO of Symantec, Symantec did this great deal. I thought this this deal was great. He's the chairman of Marvell. He's positioned Marvell as being the number one 5G company. They've got the pure 5G. And 5G is the battleground here. That's what Wabi and Billet understand. Everyone should understand at home. Huawei is not about just another Chinese company. It's about the the dominance of 5G. And against them, you've got Ericsson, second rate, Nokia, third rate. They want Cisco to challenge. They want Cisco, but Cisco is not set up to challenge Huawei. No, I know. It, it can get complicated for people. Listen, we talk a lot about 5G. We have only be, just begun, frankly, to talk about it. But we better because talk about it's not it more. really here in terms of actually people you being able about, to you use a, a 5G point? phone and get the incredible thing? speeds that are going to occur. And then we're still years away from the Internet of Things, which probably on the factory floor, for example, will have huge implications. And then we talk about it vis-a-vis U.S. versus China. Two separate, two separate universes being created. The Chinese are ahead of us, by the way. They in are? terms of 5G that, in the country. That, doesn't that worry you as, a, as an American? Um, well, I don't know if it worries me. I mean, from their perspective, first of all, the surveillance society that they have is going to be enhanced so greatly as a result of everybody having a 5G phone in their hands. What they're going to be able to do, I mean... You know, not to mention, they all just sit around doing mobile gaming all day in China. That's perfect. That's what the Chinese leadership wants. Well, but it's wants. also, it's very it's a good way to make sure there's no social unrest. It's very 1984 over there, David. Peace is war. People should go back over that book. I will tell you that the surveillance, it is, people forget, it is a dictatorship. This is what Navarro tells the president, okay? I know, but it's you know a, what? It, it's it, it's dic- not good for the world to have two separate, you know, it's better to have there to be some sort of integration than Fred to have Smith. Fred Smith. Blue, the blue team and the red team. Right. Fred Smith, foremost Republican GOP economist from FedEx, says the same thing. Do you really think we can ignore the greatest market? We can't. We may hate them, but we have to have business with them. There has to be some commerce. Does Peter Navarro think there could never be commerce because they're never going to be fair? I don't know. I don't know. But the world like that is a world that has a lot less growth and... and, and, and um, more prone to recession. Yes, prone. and 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 just a much more difficult road. But in we some are so way far from, from a lifting recession. a lot more people. We have apart. all these people come on air. They talk about a recession. David, our biggest issue in this country is enough people because we shut down immigration. Do we have enough people yes. to be able to make things in this great You're country? No, uh, David Kelly yesterday, I think it was, joined us from J.P. Morgan. He's done some work on this. And the lack of legal immigration is a potential huge problem in terms of the labor force and growth and or promoting growth. We don't have enough immigrants. How about the fact that there is a bidding war for people who are incarcerated, who are out? who were in for nonviolent, a bidding war for that talent, believing that those people will go for minimum wage. This is an amazing time. We have whole states that have less than 1%. Right. Less than 1%. The biggest issue to me is if we're really going into recession, how come it is that jobs are so plentiful and we don't have enough people to fill it because of immigration? 
It is a real high-quality problem as far as I'm concerned. It may be a high-quality problem, but... But do you see producer price index this morning? Do you know that service service was down? Talk about deflation. People have to understand, if I were Jay Powell, that's what I'd be focused on. That service... The service price was down. Right. That's not supposed to happen. No. Jay, Jay ought to be giving speeches right now saying, listen, I'm analyzing every piece of data, and I am data dependent. And this producer price index says, what? We've got to really rethink our strategy on what we own on our, rate, on our rates in this country. Meaning what? we got to go lower? We're going to go negative? What are we going to do? No, no, not negative, but we shouldn't be the highest in the world. It hasn't worked for the Japanese, has it? They don't have 20 years, 20 years. David, what is the average age of that workforce? And it's a closed country. You can't get into Japan. They won't take you. No immigrants. That's That's why they're they're the poor. sell more adult diapers than they do baby diapers. We need immigration in this country, and I know it's verboten to talk about it. Why? why this do we is, need? This we is need how this workers. country was built. The, oh no, you're agreeing with me. So, yeah, right. We need workers. And look at all these companies, Silicon Valley, that are founded by, fir- uh, by first and second generation. All right, let's we move need on. These to, let's move on to a couple of stocks before we uh, before we get to a Pisani as well. Kraft Heinz down again, Jim, two and a half percent. Did you read the In addition goal? to yesterday, did you read the conference? You know goal? what? I have to say, actually, I didn't. Okay, here's so the conference. I'm going to give you, this, you on this. I'm going to give the subtext of the conference call. We talked about it yesterday. Yeah, I'll give you subtext. Well. Yeah. Mm. That's not fair. Huh? New CEO. Uh, 40 days. Making a little town meetings. Mm. I mean, David, the most granular that you got was that Philadelphia cream cheese had a good month. I mean, i got to tell you that Heinz is 70% share. David, Heinz and Philadelphia cream cheese. That was the sub. That was it. And otherwise, it's... Mm-hmm. 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 A lot of noises. Mm-hmm. Sounds you know, like... The most part, when someone said, are you going to cut the dividend again? He said, no, we're, we're committed to the dividend. Dave, we're committed to the dividend. What do you do right before you cut a dividend? You say you're committed to it. Thank you very much. Every single time you do that. And yeah. then you cut it a week later. Um, I know. Again, David, I'm one of the only benefits to having done this forever is having seen these yeah. movies before, right? Well, you um, talked to him. I mean, look, he's a new CEO. Let's give him a break. We'll give him a break. I just okay. gave him a break. I just said that. Okay? Yeah, you did. Now, he's probably very nice. I'm sure he's lovely. I hear I'm nice sure things. He's a lovely gentleman. They have. And, oh, and you know what? They go with this idea. Listen, our brands are number one or two. They have shrinking. They don't understand. The, the categories are shrinking. Yes. You could be number one in a shrinking category. I'd rather be number four in a, in growing, a growing category. category. Yes. You avoid shrinkage. Yes. 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 Vandalay Industries, Correct. David. That's who's coming into that market. Industries. All right. GE is also down again. It's not been a great week for the stock. It's funny. It's, oh, you're so uh, it's, retre- it's retreated from that $10 level that it has seemingly inhabited for uh, a period of time here. The, the, um, the TUSA, the, the, the JP Morgan line, that, that 2020 may be tough as well. Look at ugh. it. That, that gives you, I mean, it's a race to uh, between Dara and GE when they're really... Ooh, I shouldn't do that. Larry, no. Cole. Larry Culp is doing a great job. He's, uh, he listen, is. You're right. I mean, what kind G- of hand was he G- You can't get a break in some ways. Not I mean, right now. Boeing, that, the, the, the max, that, where does that come from? Well, you know, look, the possibility and that they are Where does it come from? We know. My point is that it's that another they're problem they're dealing with, and it's not of their own making whatsoever at GE. You know, I thought the Baker Hughes, G, the, uh, Baker Hughes at GE company, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. In that, in, in, in they're going to break it up into a couple pieces. Right. There are pieces that they can do, therefore there won't be any trust. Yep. And I think that's going to be gone a year from now. There okay. won't be any. And that's okay. positive. So he's got some cash coming and in. And by the way, we got uh, crude oil up uh, up 3.5% actually at 54.43. All right, let's, uh, let's get to Pisani, get more on what's moving this morning. Bob. And you know what's remarkable, David? Crude oil is up 3%. And energy stocks cannot rally at all. They're essentially flat. It's been a terrible week for energy. They're still down 1% or so. Let's just take a look here. The semis uh, week here. Some of the China-related names, uh, Micron, Qualcomm, AMD on the weak side. Banks, yields down. Banks a little bit. Here's flat energy, essentially. Remember, we're up 3% with crude today, as David mentioned here. Uh, utilities on the flat side. That's been, of course, a winner we've been talking about. The defensive names doing a little bit better. Just want to point out what's going down in Europe. Most of Europe's down 1%, 2%. Italy's notably weak here. That's the Italian market down 2%. It looks like the Italian government may be on the verge of collapse. The Northern League threatening to pull out of the coalition there. These are the Italian banks that we often put up. Uh, and you can see they're down 5 6 or 7%. Overall, I guess the question is, what's moving the markets right now? And, of course, other than trying to get the dollar weaker potentially and to get the Fed to move here, What's going to happen with the tariffs on September 1st? A lot of chatter and a lot of people on either side of this. I think the question is, is, is how 
likely is we're going to actually have the tariffs. I personally think the chances are pretty good that they may not happen because I think the bar for a second truce is fairly low, if you think about it. It's not a big hurdle to just declare a second truce and keep things going and the negotiations going. And is there a big constituency for more tariffs? I don't think so, other than Mr. Navarro and possibly the president himself, who's obviously the person who matters here. So I'm a little more bullish uh, on the potential that there might be some push out for the tariffs uh, on September 1st. Elsewhere, a lot of comments about how bearish everybody is, about the sentiment being awful. And it's true, if you look at the uh, consumer sentiment, investor sentiment, the AAII, this is the weekly poll here, bearishness 48.2, yikes. That's the highest since December. That's a pretty big number here. Historically, that's about 30%, somewhere around there. Bullishness uh, is down to 21%. You know, historically, that's much, much higher. So this spread here is abnormally wide. Now, of course, in the topsy-turvy world of sentiment, when sentiment's really bad, that's bullish for the market. Remember, these are contrarian indicators. Drives everybody crazy, uh, but they are. Uh, but maybe there's pretty good reason for people to be a little bit bearish in the short term. One of the things that everybody's talking about, and, and, and now the question is whether sentiment is washed out sufficiently, there's been a lot of outflows from mutual funds this week and ETFs. And a lot of people are saying, aha, you see, investors are pulling out money like crazy. Uh, calm down. That's not really what's going on. It's true. Big pullouts here, equity funds, ETFs and mutual funds. These have combined $25 billion. That's the largest amount of outflows since December. It's still only about 0.3% of the assets, but it's still, that's a notable number here. And money market funds have seen inflows. So you might say, oh, okay, obviously investors this week were freaked out. This is the last five trading days, and they're pulling money out. Most of these declines here are in the area of uh, ETFs, and these are dealers. So bear in mind, it's not really individual investors that are pulling money out. Finally, you want to talk about stuff at new high? How about the stock exchanges? CME, Intercontinental, and uh, CBOE, all at new highs. They're benefiting from a little bit of a market turmoil. Guys, back to you. Thank you, Bob. Bob Sani on the floor for us. Let's head to the bond pits now. Check in on all things fixed income with Rick Santelli. Rick. Morning, David. You know, even though uh, the PPI was a little light uh, uh, on the year-over-year numbers and on the core, what we do see is it didn't really move the markets in an upward-yielding direction or a downward. It basically unchanged from pre-number levels. But what a day and what a week. Okay, look at a two-day of tens. We're down one today, but we're down 14 on the week. Two years are down one on the day, down 10 on the week. So you pretty much have double-digit drops in yield across the curve. Now, if you look at a year today to the TY VIX, okay, we all know the VIX for equities, but CBOE has a 10-year VIX as well. It's in elevated levels that we haven't seen since February of 2018. Even though it's come off a bit, it's especially come off some of its intraday levels from earlier in the week. But unlike stocks, you get a VIX, TY VIX move option vol in treasuries normally was for downside uh, in price upside in yields. That's where you really used to get the horsepower, but not anymore. It's really in both directions. And with all the buying driving rates down, being a nervous feedback loop, it especially exaggerated uh, the VIX on this one. Now, if we look at the yield curve, it's had some major flattening. Some of it came in big bursts. We are now at the flattest on a closing basis since 2007, 12 years. Italy, Bob mentioned it, of course, uh, a political issue there. Look at what their 10 years doing. It's popping to the upside. Finally, quickly, a dollar index for the week. Steady Eddie after it gave up some ground earlier in the week. Jim and David, back to you. Rick, thank you. Rick Santelli there. Dave, I keep thinking about that. Yeah, well, it's funny you keep thinking about it because I wanted to reference it as well, and we're going to play a a minute of it. Yeah, because I'm worried that you're selling a commodity basically at a discount. Uh, David, it's labor-intensive. You know, Starbucks sells a commodity at a premium. Yes. Don't you want to sell at a premium? Don't they sell at a discount? I don't know how they're going to get profitable. Well, that's all. It goes back. A lot of it does go back to pricing, by the way. It was a difficult quarter for investors to potentially digest, given the compensation expense related to the IPO, these driver appreciation awards that had the effect of depressing the year-over-year revenue growth rate. Here's what Dara Khosrowshahi had to say about that Uber quarter. The back half of the year, you're going to see, if trends stay the same, revenue growth in excess of 30%. And when you look at profitability, we beat our own internal targets. We beat street targets as well. We came in at a loss of $656 million. It's still a big loss, but the losses are improving. The take rates are improving. That goes back to your point, though, Jim, which is 
You're fighting a lot of different markets. You're fighting a, a lot of different competitors. I thought it was interesting when I asked them about SoftBank, but it's a real question in that you have the Vision Fund 2 out there conceivably giving a great deal of capital to potential competitors for Uber on the Eats front. Uh, they obviously already have helped fund Didi at SoftBank as well. And so pricing can continue to be lower than what it should be, as you point out, in a market that is rational. Right. The Princess Domino's hired Rich Allison on. was just fantastic. He was talking about basically about DoorDash is able to play with free money. You can't compete with DoorDash. I think that while I do like Uber Eats, that's going to be a loss for a very long time because DoorDash, David, is very powerful. See, Amazon was funding all those well. losses for a while. They were funding those losses. They didn't have any competitors. They Netflix, didn't have any competitors. Netflix same thing. Hey, listen, if it, I took, were, it took everybody years to wake up to Netflix. If I were Amazon, By then, you know what I would do? I would give it away. I'd say, hey, Prime members, you can drive uh, for free. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. Here's a uh, look at Mattel, by the way. Didn't get to this when we were hitting no, stocks. Why? Yeah. Well, they pulled a bond offering last night after receiving an anonymous whistleblower letter. Frankly, that's all we really know, but that is having an impact on the stock price at this point, as you can see. We're back right after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we got a little time left for a stop trading. Let's play some alphabet, David. A to triple B, what is that? Say again, what? A to triple B. What about A to triple B? Occidental debt, 13 billion. David, that's a huge, huge S&P downgrade. What do you make of it? Well, not too much. Well, no, I mean, it's priced in, but I'm saying that, that David, what would... Well, they've okay, got a lot of debt because they're paying 8% okay. to Warren Buffett. Okay, which is then brings On me 10 to bill, right? And a dark yeah. If that deal were to happen today, judging by where Concho is, judging by where Apache is, David, that may have been a $40 and Darko got a great price for their shareholders. They should be very thankful. Thank Vicky you. Holub was there. They should be very thankful for Michael Worth to be bidding it up. Yep. What do you got on Mad tonight? Well, oh, you David, have, just, no. Just primer. When we do a primer. Yeah, we got a primer. Show. Okay. Primer. But, David, I got to tell you, I love this show, and I am still thinking that Dara may have a real problem, which is that dis- the labor problems, the discount. I don't know. I don't David, I left that interview thinking, I don't know. Uh-oh. That's I don't trouble. know. Well, you got the weekend. To, I you got the weekend to think about it. I will, believe. All right. How the tomatoes? Good. Right. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. 